from Immersive Labs, this is Cyber Humanity. Hello again, I'm your host Chris Pace. Cyber Humanity is the podcast taking cyber security personally, trying to get inside the heads of hackers as well as putting our feet in the shoes of defenders. These podcasts come in two flavours, either us ranting about themes close to the hearts of security types or us chatting about threat and security stuff from recent weeks. I'm joined by three people that I'm looking directly in the eye. <laughs> in 3D. Oh, Max Vetter, Kev Breen. And Paul Bentham. <laughs> well, hello, everybody. Hello. Hello. Yes. Hi, everybody. I can, we can, I can touch, touch people. That's an appropriate yeah, that's Yeah, that's <laughs> a problem. Am I the only person who's noticed that people's faces look slightly strange? I, it's honestly, it's I don't recognise people. People are much taller than I realised. And I think also new people who you've started working with, who you've only oh, seen yeah. over Zoom, you see their faces and you're like, I didn't imagine your head was that shape. So or I didn't imagine <laughs> no, that you were all that all different tall. shaped heads. Yeah. Everyone different shape. You, you guys, same, because I've seen you before. But, <laughs> but everyone else. That's very kind of you. We've not, we've not widened. Two, 3D heads are very different to 2D heads. So anyway. You can't the, mute people as well, I've realised. <laughs> <laughs> Keep trying. Also, the um, I, I don't know whether I want to share this, actually. I'm going to share it. You know what? When you need a cheeky fart during a meeting. <laughs> quick mute. Quick you mute. can't do that. A quick mute. <laughs> in and out. Done. So I was going to start with like hyper important nation state Russian cyber attackers. Like big, big story. But we, I think we... We have to talk about uh, the biggest story of the, <laughs> the, the week, don't we? It's the, a massive yeah. deal. I don't know if you know, um, yeah. Kev Breen, uh, he's been on the BBC. He's kind of a big deal. I think you'll find that's Kev Breen of the BBC. Sorry, yeah. Kev Breen. <laughs> BBC, <laughs> BBC World Service's <laughs> Kev Breen. He's definitely gone up in stature from when, what was that What was that uh, article called him? Director of Threat Cyber, Menaces. Threat Menaces. Cyber Threat Menaces. <laughs> well, the BBC yeah. got him right, didn't they? Yes, they did. They announced me correctly. And I know him. Like, I knew that guy. <laughs> yeah. You know what's um, interesting is that the BBC decided to feature this story on the... Is it JBL? Or is it JBS. JBS. The, see, I don't even remember the name of it. Which is basically a... Oh, sorry. No, I'm just having no, a drink. Don't mind, <laughs> don't mind Paul opening his beer, everyone. No, but, Carry uh, on. We're in person. I have to watch him drinking. Don't, uh, don't break the illusion <laughs> of professionalism, Chris. <laughs> it's a very thin veneer of... <laughs> Yeah. So anyway, Kev was on the BBC, which is a big deal, talking about JBS meat processing. And because they've been <laughs> yeah. ransomware meat pa- meat and for meat packing, on, whatever. Meat, how many questions did they ask you about meat? Probably not many. Um, medium or rare? Maybe one. Oh, they, they did didn't ask, ask you, you any questions question. about meat. Not specifically like, ha- about meat, but why the meat industry was targeted. Oh, and there's not really an answer to that, which is why. Which is why. <laughs> I mean, I don't. It's like no, saying why was a pipeline up, targeted, and we're like, well, they weren't targeted. They were. It was a complete accident. And meat packing is essential for all government operatives. I mean, to, <laughs> to be fair, if McDonald's are impacted by a supply of beef, like you have hit the people where it hurts the most. Oh, have you not seen? Have you not seen the queues in the last last year? It's constantly <laughs> queuing at McDonald's already. So uh, anyway, the, uh, what I was going to say. Well, so can you remember the KFC? Hang on a second. Chris, the KFC chicken crisis. Chris, stop moving us on to, on to cyber. <laughs> yes, this is so boring. So the KFC chicken crisis of last year was a big deal, wasn't it? Remember? Yes, well, was... that was a, that was not to do with cyber, was I mean, it? It's not very cyber. 
so editorially, for context, editorially, we had already decided, oh no, it's just another ransomware thing. Nobody cares. JBS, why would we talk about them? We're not going to include it on the podcast. It's really boring. And then the BBC (laughs) rang up and said, we'd really love to talk to that Kev Breen, director (laughs) of Threat Menaces. Oh, yes, 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 yes. He's definitely available. Yes, and it's a fascinating story. We would definitely love Uh, to talk about it. We love it. And the, the most interesting thing was two minutes before I'm due to go live, they said, oh, hang on a second. We've just lost all the lights in the studio. We're not able to broadcast. Can you just hold a moment? And then I just sat there a, for 10 minutes. They put up a still <laughs> of your face with the words technical difficulties. <laughs> it, it depends. But now, but now, Kev Breen off of the BBC, I'm going to invite you to contribute to a section on ransomware where we won't talk about the meat thing. Because okay. I just don't think the meat thing's that interesting. I mean, does anyone well, want to disagree with me? I just don't. Not yet. I mean, no, it's Are you a, a vegan? No, but... Oh, okay, so there's something that's potentially interesting. Rampant speculation. Maybe the vegans did it. Actually, there, hasn't there been... Uh, I saw recently they've been blockading McDonald's in the US, the, the vegans have. Uh, <laughs> the vegans. To stop, literally to stop. So, I, I said so, I said so we're not hitting our inclusivity. No. <laughs> we're a, we're no, a no, Bristol-based company. There is a... No, there, there is with a, 90% uh, vegan uh, employees. <laughs> No, there is. There was a protest last week outside McDonald's in in the US, stopping them sending. Up. So this is like double whammy. Hmm. So it'd be interesting if they are linked, but I don't think they don't think they are. So we don't think it was the vegans. Anyway, any more rampant speculation about the? I mean, I know it's a supply chain thing, which I guess is we why to, why we, we didn't talk about the cyber part of it. it. Why? Well, because really it's not we that don't know interesting. We, we don't really know, know anything. We, first of all, they really got Kev on the BBC to talk for ten minutes because he's a technical. He's got technical insight into ransomware, and I bet all you did for the whole time was talk about other types of ransomware. It depends. <laughs> no, it depends. Um... Yeah, yeah. We, we don't know anything. Like, no, so the, the, I think the first question was, is this from Russia? Uh, and it's like, well, J- shame on you, BBC. JBS. Like, like, I mean, just say yes. This is the thing. Like, <laughs> yes. We're seeing <laughs> Putin did it himself. We're seeing it reported a lot, and people are now citing the White House. And if you read the White House commentary, the White House said, according to JBS, this came from Russia. And now people are saying, according to the White House, this came from Russia. Did JBS <laughs> say, according to the White House? We're in a horrible so feedback loop. To be, to be fair, most ransomware does come from the CIS block. But not all. Okay, technical. Look, he's been on the BBC and now he's talking in technical <laughs> terms. The CIS no. block? What are you talking about? Uh, all... Oh, hello. No, no, he can't expand it. Like, yeah, let's come on, can't no, all, all of the stands... Um, Uzbekistan, Kazakhstan, Kazakhstan, Tajikistan. What does it stand for? Oh, the Commonwealth of Independent States. States. Hmm. That's clever. <laughs> <laughs> Do you actually know that? You not, made and not specifically not Russia or just the Commonwealth of Independent States. Well, I mean, we're getting a Can't very we just off topic. Say USSR. But, but <laughs> so it's not 1985. So the Russian government were very vocal, and they came out and they uh, they said that. We will not prosecute because we don't have laws and they've not broken Russian law. And we find that a lot of uh, ransomware that comes from that region actually does things like checking to see the language of the operating system. So they don't infect anything from that block so that they're not falling foul of their own government. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You get one day. You get one day of this. Um, well, that was just five minutes of rampant speculation. 
so that's why we're not going to talk about it. But what yes. we are, there's things about ransomware. What we are going to talk about, um, and the first of them is there was an article published in the Wall Street Journal, I think last week, and the headline. I'll read the headline was "Ban Cryptocurrency to Fight Ransomware." Now, that seems like quite a leap to me. <laughs> But but I'm Max. I'm looking at you as a resident cryptocurrency expert. By which I mean Max has a Bitcoin wallet that he's forgotten the password <laughs> for. I don't know if that's ooh, been ooh, can we get an update on that, Max? How's How, it going? How's it going? Yeah, we're we're still working on it. Have you tried, <laughs> have you tried your second ex girlfriend's mother's maiden name? Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah. We're 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 working through the uh, permutations. Uh, yeah, I. Uh, it sounds like a ridiculous thing to say uh in in an article like oh just cancel all bitcoin but <laughs> i actually i have a theory and uh and we do like rampant speculation here um for some time because obviously all the work we did before like i i have sat watching bitcoin oh this um, is when you was constable max vetter yes <laughs> yes <laughs> Exactly. Of the yard. Yeah. Really, really, really. I just, I mean, maybe we should record it as a sound thing so we can just. So, and we did sit watching Bitcoin cash points, if you don't know there are such things. And, and. And, and you were young, paid to young, do this. Young lady, Hang on a second. <laughs> Stop with the criminality thing. You were just sitting watching Cash Points. Have you got like criminals no, to catch? Paul, it was a stakeout. It's called, it's called surveillance. surveillance. Surveillance, actually, yes. Have you heard of cameras that you could install and like just watch? Yeah. No, you, they have to have cameras. They have to take photos. We were eating photos. donuts as well. Yeah, yeah, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, they didn't sell them. It was a soup shop. Uh, but, but basically... Where? Was, Where? Yeah. A soup shop? Where? Those of you who 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 know it all know it. It's a it's a Bitcoin cash point in uh, Old Street Tube. Oh, uh, and yeah, we we watched uh, Young Nerdy Wells. If I'm gonna <laughs> if I'm gonna go go back to old school, uh, feeding tens of thousands of no, there you young man, get away from that Bitcoin, get away from that Bitcoin cash point. <laughs> <laughs> uh, feeding tens of thousands of pounds into this Bitcoin cash point for obvious reasons, and and this was years, you know. So just, I want to make sure used... that I'm understanding because for the benefit yeah. of the listener, the yeah. single listener, <laughs> the benefit <laughs> of the listener, you're you're saying that there are were machines that basically turn cash into Bitcoin, and uh, and vice versa. Uh, so they were feeding cash into the Bitcoin cash to point turn to it get into Bitcoin. Bitcoin. To, okay, yeah. So then go and um, use it on the dark web, particularly Silk Road at the time. So right. it was years ago, and uh, and I thought for some time. Even just the increase in value of Bitcoin means that a lot of criminals who have been using it for getting on 10 years now uh, are probably millionaires just from the increase in, in value of Bitcoin, <laughs> let alone yeah. selling all the drugs and guns and bombs. So just uh, what you're getting at is that although this article is pointing at the Bitcoin problem as it pertains to ransomware, you are basically saying that criminal gangs underground organized criminal gangs ocgs yeah to, yep, OCGs. to go to use the um line of duty parlance um you're saying that they basically have always been using cryptocurrency in nefarious ways and so therefore your argument would be that it, it potentially is a bigger problem than yeah it's, just ransomware it's very sweeping to say turn off all cryptocurrencies because of one thing but i do think um i do kind of agree with the article that uh the number of criminals that use 
cryptocurrencies is very very large and the number of uh, the amount of money they they get from it and currently we don't seem very good at tracking tracking um bitcoin payments from ransomware and, and trying to stop it in in the kind of anti-money laundering thing so um yeah i kind of agree with the article i'm i'm glad the article said ban cryptocurrency to fight ransomware and not stop it because yeah. this mm. like if we were just to be able to blanket ban like all cryptocurrency it wouldn't stop them it'd give them a bump in the road they'd have to transition they'd have to come up with new novel ways to to launder that money but organized crime has been doing this for centuries like them handling large volumes of money isn't anything new like cryptocurrency made it a bit easier for them because it's digital so no but don't you think that's the point of the article so that's kind of what i wanted to get into because it felt to me like the article was saying that the um the 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 prop uh, the ubiquity of ransomware i.e the fact that it is such a wide-scale problem is partly and to a large part the fault of how easy it is to essentially generate cash completely untraceably through something like bitcoin or no i disagree with that. like ransomware's existed long before cryptocurrency did like ransom people were being held to ransom their computers long before cryptocurrency even entered the realms of how like, did you thought. pay did you have to write a check cash cash Big well, actual cash, big actual cash. Oh well, and this, this is that um, was so much cooler. U- Western Union used oh, yeah, Western to be Union. Western Union yeah. money pack, and PayPal. Yeah, and, yeah. yeah. Uh, they would still go back. Gift to cards. Like PayPal, there's still yeah. there's still ransomware out there now that says what we want you to do is buy an Amazon gift card yeah. and send us the number because that becomes that's even a pretty good way of laundering money. Actually, yeah, if you well, had yeah, thousands and thousands in Amazon in Amazon uh, well, gift cards. I mean, yeah, but that. Okay, but then you've got to buy a lot of crap. <laughs> no, you actually do. had a look at how much you're spending on Amazon no, across no, the world. No, because no, you don't want to know. Never show me that. I, never I've done me. that. It's terrifying. Yeah, yeah I, I think it's interesting. It's an interesting debate and something that I think that if someone, everyone who's going to be shouting at the their uh, speakers now about loving Bitcoin and we should never turn it off. And I think the people who are most passionate about Bitcoin should want it to not be uh, used a lot of the time by criminals so there are you know money laundering things there are there are things you can do uh, to stop it so the bitcoin community should really get more on board with it rather than just like uh it's it's, so, it's decentralized there's the question then. you know now there's the question then so if we know that it's being used for nefarious purposes being used by criminals we can track money that has been cash that has been used in that way through lots of different like there's lots of different ways to do that. Why is that? Why is there not a way to do that for cryptocurrency? And aren't we getting to a point where that was its whole point? Of I life. know, I understand, but it's that's like me yeah, saying, that, yeah. Do you know what I mean? That's like me saying, oh well, um, you you see what I'm getting at? Yeah, just, my, my I point mean, just because just because that was originally designed to be like that, now it's working in the real world with banks. Like all exchanges are now regulated like very like banks but it's the interaction between those exchanges and the kind of moving it into other things like Monero that's what they all do isn't it yeah all goes into Monero and and, and mixers and things like that yeah Monero is not as traceable like so Bitcoin has a public blockchain my point is my point is if it is illegal to launder money or to gain <laughs> cash through criminal acts, it should also be a requirement of those currencies to have a 
you know, a, something for law enforcement to go on in order to be able to trace but that. I mean, currency, that's, the, that's the fascinating thing about it. so. So Monero, for example, is it goes along the same lines as encryption does, where you don't. It's kind of zero trust, where you don't, uh, you can't possibly track it, and they've made it in that way, so they can't. You can't ask. Uh, guys, um, I'm sorry, sorry to interrupt, uh, but I've just realised I've actually got a meeting. I don't know why there's a meeting at six o'clock in my diary, but I've got, I've, I've got to run. Oh. Like, I, I really love you guys, and I know that I can see you in 3D and stuff, but I could be back in a bit. Yeah, we're probably finished by then. But you don't. I mean, you don't need me. It's all boring cyber, isn't it? <laughs> you don't listen anyway. So. I don't should go. So Max is contributing <laughs> way more than you are. It's because we've got him higher on the volume, so we can actually hear yeah, him this okay. time. Yeah. <laughs> right, we can see you later. Bye, 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 bye. 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 Uh, so, what is the answer to that then? No. <laughs> I mean, I, d- <laughs> I heard a lot of pontificating about how it has to be untraceable, but, like, why? I, I think, the, for me, the important thing is, is it going to? Are we going to close down Bitcoin and Monero because of this? No, no, we're not. Um, I think as, as more and more companies and pipelines and meatpacking plants get, <laughs> get shut down, I think they... they I mean, the best way of going, it's only, it's a money thing, right? The only thing they're interested in money. So you, I would expect the US and everyone else to eventually track the money uh, or regulate the where, where the money goes. So I, I think that will happen in time, especially the more and more, more and more it happens. But um, yeah, currently, I, I think closing down Bitcoin is, is a bit extreme just yeah. for one ransomware. I think looking across all the criminal gain, I think there's a lot more they could do and there, there are companies out there that are trying to track and what, what's the so tra- so to the to that point um if we did want to implement technology that would enable us to track it what would that look like how, like how what would be the thing that we would be tracking and how would there be a way of seeing where they've it's kind going? of done this yeah with bitcoin tainting haven't they yeah they so they they try and the tracking works in a way that it's quite clever it's it's it uses uh, everything from normal open source intelligence so they collect all the Bitcoin wallet numbers that are shared online, all the Bitcoin wallet numbers that are shared on the dark web, and then they all kind of link that together to every transaction, and then um, then they will taint them. So if so, the Bitcoin wallet number that appears when that ransom note appears, they will taint that. So it will track through the uh, so anti money laundering companies will let. So if a if a bank said, oh, you want to buy some bitcoin and the original wallet was that wallet number that's been tainted so you can't actually use that bitcoin anymore now they'll do clever things like try and mix it in a tumbler and and so it, it kind of goes in and out lots and and so you can't see uh, the bitcoin so the, t- the taint kind of gets dissipated or they yeah exchange it into another um bitcoin like uh another cryptocurrency like like monero but yeah, they're clearly not very good at it because otherwise they <laughs> they're still making lots of money and people are still paying them lots. So I think once they get good at tracking it and finding the people, and I suppose the question is when what do you do when you track it? And that has been always the problem since the '90s is that oh we know where these criminals are, we even know who they are, but they live in Russia. So uh, what difference it, does it matter? What if, difference is it going to make anyway? Yeah, it's the nature of global cybercrime is such that even if they were doing money transfer it would still be just as hard to for the long arm of the law to reach that to reach um yeah, pavel then in... they're never gonna they're never gonna care yeah. unless the russian government get involved um and they they tend not to also in ransomware news um double 
double encryption is apparently on the rise. Um, I I know that double encryption sometimes happens when um, a, um, victims accidentally get basically accidentally get encrypted twice. Um, so they they get attacked by two. They coincidentally get attacked by two bits of ransomware. But it looks like we're now seeing uh, attackers basically do kind of do this on purpose. So they're basically encrypting the victim twice and then allowing them to pay and then them still being encrypted. Am I understanding that right? And what's the advantage in that? Do they get paid twice? I don't know. I, w I wouldn't trust them if they encrypted me once I decrypted and then I was still encrypted. I'd be pretty annoyed. See. I've not read all the research, but we don't hear about this stuff very often. So whilst the what the attackers do is bad, like I'm not debating that, they're pretty good at being honourable in like once you've paid, they give you the decryption keys. Like they're pretty That's good their at that. Because model, the, isn't it? Yeah. If, they, if we don't, if they don't get it, no one would pay. Exactly. So I, what I think is more likely in this situation is probably something like two affiliates. Like we know ransomware as a service runs by. Uh, affiliates who gain access and then sell that on um, to the, uh, the the big ransomware operators. I think what's more likely is you've found one affiliate who is trying to double the game. So he's selling it to Revil and Darkside at the same time, rather yeah. than any one um, like top tier group who's double encrypting. I think it's the affiliates are trying to basically double down. Um, not real, and from the victim side, like they won't realize they'll run that first decryption. They're like, "Oh, but why is the uh uh yeah, okay. yeah?" But I think that's on the affiliates rather than being on the the top tier operators. Do you think a affiliate could also have found another affiliate has has decrypted and be like, "I want to get on on this and just <laughs> de yeah. re-encrypt"? Well, it's the yeah the idea of getting it. if you and this is um. Uh, examples we've seen in uh, in how you communicate when you are attacked is uh, you don't want to give away too much information that might show that you're that might show that you're vulnerable and so therefore uh, because I would guess for exactly that reason I suppose one of the other things could be that you can't you can't guarantee that your chosen ransomware strain is necessarily going to work right so I suppose it's also completely possible that the reason you deploy two is that you deploy one variant and you you don't know that it's going to be reliable, and so therefore you deploy two to kind of I don't double, know double back, double, back, yeah. <laughs> double, <laughs> double down, belt and braces. I don't know. But I suppose it's, it's it's always going to be if it's two groups, it's going to be the last one who gets paid first. So it's actually probably a quite sneaky idea to be like I've I've encrypted second, so I get paid first. And then, I, and then I don't care because you're still encrypted. But go and talk to that second encryption group. It, but it obviously, must make de must make the whole you know the whole process of um, you know decryption and recovery and all that. It must make that a lot, lot harder. Yeah. Because now you have to deploy two decryptors, don't you? you have well, to I mean, build a package that's got two decryptors. In. Arguably, having just gone through it once is probably easier the second time round. Like you're adapting it now. Yeah, you know exactly <laughs> what you you know exactly what you need to do. And lastly, in our little ransomware roundup, where we didn't talk about how Kev was on the BBC, um, <laughs> there are apparently there were two new kids on the block, two emerging players. Um, these are groups called Prometheus. I should have let you say that, Max, because Max, think, Max thinks Prometheus best, is a great word. Great name, best, best name we've had in a while. And the other one is called Grief. Um, and essentially, the, 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 these two emerging groups 
have been very prevalent in Mexico. So that's the first thing we seem to we seem to know about them. And it looks as though they have they have deployed some interesting techniques. Prometheus also has a, some kind of relationship with Revil, but we're not quite sure. We're not quite sure what that is. Yeah, it's it's hard to get from the research, but it sounds like this is a. So we know that Revil use affiliates, and I think that rather than using individual affiliates, this is like a group of affiliates have come together to form this new group, Prometheus, and Revil have taken them under their wing. Uh, I don't know, um, but the 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 really interesting thing uh, that came out from this is that security researchers identified that the Prometheus um, leak site, so we know all these big sites, they have their their Tor hidden service where they list all of the details that have been leaked, that actually had a vulnerability in it, a SQL injection vulnerability. Mm. So researchers were able to actually dump the database, which includes the <laughs> Prometheus at gmail.com account that Amazing. the attackers are using. Uh, like all of their hash passwords, like everything that's in there. So... Um, Maybe we should offer them some uh, some services. Is anything else about these ransomware groups interesting? I mean, the the thing that Paul like so Paul found this and got really excited um, by the fact that they were using um, like sonar to do their their exfiltration over Tor. Um, like, ironically, I think like when you think about it, so the sonar is a uh, an open source tool you can use it's basically like WeTransfer or dropbox but you send stuff over the tor network instead of over the normal uh, internet now you might think that's actually sensible but actually i think that makes it easier for us as defenders to identify it i think that's like oh because you'd be looking for because, sonar activity and thinking that's a bit weird we wouldn't I mean, normally expect to have that going pretty on. much every seam has default rules that say i've identified tor traffic right yeah so this feels like a really easy way for them to get caught what we tend to see and we saw this with nobelium uh like they're using dropbox they're using google uh they're using legitimate services mm. over https so it just blends it in hides the in the noise ways. right yeah this is a blaring foghorn like <laughs> tor is exfiltrating 100 gigs with the data i'm going to see that on my networks if i'm not I'm not looking at my networks properly. All right, Kev, you're you're I can you're leading the witness here onto Nobelium. Uh, yes, so yes. <laughs> so Nobel, so it's interesting. Nobelium, which I think is how you say it. I'm assuming it's related to Nobel in some way. We don't weren't really familiar with. Well, at least I wasn't really familiar with that name. And then suddenly this name has cropped up, and now it's like, oh, you know, the SolarWinds, the SolarWinds <laughs> APT group, and we're like, oh, okay, now they're called that. So. I mean, that, there's that they're actually apt 29 yeah like, well, no, but microsoft aren't saying that are they uh i don't know I think no then depend, depends on the, they no they're not <laughs> depends on the vendor they use yeah well <laughs> i think microsoft in this case is the vendor yeah. and so they're calling it nebelium but anyway yes the threat actor behind the attacks on against solar winds which by the way then we'll have to put in brackets every time after nebelium <laughs> yeah. uh nebelium oh who are they oh you know the threat actor behind the attacks against solar winds <laughs> Uh, yeah, so what's going on? They're they're back, basically. They've not been gone that long. They've not been gone that long. They're back. Uh, and with some very, very targeted uh, attacks. And like it, it's actually quite interesting. So if you break down all of the components, so what we're seeing here is, and this is not a supply chain compromise, mm. but what this is, is it's an efficient use of legitimate supply chain to deliver malware. 
So we're seeing the attackers use Dropbox. Uh, we're seeing them use Google Firebase. We're seeing them use IPFE. Arguably, that's not really surprising. But we're seeing them use these completely valid and trusted vendors uh, to run this stuff through. So if I'm monitoring my corporate network, especially if I use corporate Dropbox, seeing Dropbox traffic isn't going to be suspicious to me. Mm. Um and even looking at all of the techniques, so they're using uh, HTML smuggling, they're using containers, they're using LNK files, uh, they're using Dropbox, and all of these techniques, there's nothing new in any of them. But bringing them all together, I think, is what makes this really uh, quite interesting. Um, the other really interesting thing they're doing, and uh, the, the thing that Nobelium are doing, is that you can see their iteration, their evolution of this entire process of where they're using Dropbox and they're trying different methods. Uh, and it's, I think the, the the way I'd liken it to is they're actually running their own phishing campaign against their targets. They're tracking the links. They're using Google Firebase to, to, to see what IP addresses and user agents are clicking the link. And this is where I have a slight issue with what Microsoft did. So Microsoft came out like really early and said, like, here's all of the indicators, which I love. But because this is a public service like Firebase, uh, anybody could go to that Firebase site, which they've listed publicly. Anybody mm. could pull that database. Mm. And like in my browser, I can now see a list of every victim IP address that they're being tracked. I can also see all the researchers that are now hitting that site. So... I don't know whether Microsoft realized what they were doing or whether it was, they didn't anticipate what it was, but like they could have just outed a load of victims there. Mm. Uh, and so uh, just uh, without getting too much into the weeds of it, how, how do we know then that it's them? Like they're at Microsoft are, uh, attributing it to them. What is it that tell? What is it that tells them that it's there? That, that's how we know it because Microsoft told oh, us. So, so we're just trusting. <laughs> we're just trusting them to Tr know. Yes. But don't, don't, okay, so I know that, I feel like this is a circular conversation that we keep having, but isn't there something that they can give us that helps us know how they know it's them? Uh, I mean, to be fair, they do. So uh, if you go through like more of the technical detail, uh, they've released technical blogs alongside their, their reviews. Right. And the way they do most of their attribution uh, is through some deep dive malware analysis, but also looking not so much at the TTPs, but looking at the crossovers between uh, the infrastructure. Right. So, yeah. and in this case, it's quite easy. So the thing that gets me is this is a sophisticated actor. Like we know that if we trust Microsoft to say who it is, we know they've, they've got like these highly technical capabilities. And it seems strange to me that they would use Dropbox and uh, Google mm. Firebase mm. because the US government is going to go straight to Dropbox and straight to Firebase and go give me everything <laughs> like yeah. every log every byte everything you have which is going to be an incredible amount of data to figure out like the the way the malware works is when a victim installs it it uploads a file to Dropbox mm. so now you the government can go to Dropbox and say give me every file and give me the IP address it came from like victim identification just yeah. became super Isn't simple yeah, isn't Dropbox doesn't don't they have uh, encryption on? I'm sure there's some encryption where the Dropbox may not be able to. Yes, but they so they won't be able to see the file contents. At least I'd hope they can't see the file contents, but they can see every incoming IP address. Yeah, 
and this is over their API as well. So the, the malware uses the Dropbox API with the bearer token. So we know exactly which account it was based on that bearer token. Uh, and uh, Dropbox can go, this is every incoming IP address that used that bearer token, because that stuff they will track and isn't encrypted. So you'll be able to identify every victim immediately. Yeah, oh, but do you think the original world use VPNs and things like that and rotate through? I mean, I'd expect, so I'd expect they're doing VPNs. I expect they're staging. They're going to be running, um, like, hosting in the US, and they're going to be, like, double hopping through all that. They're going to yeah. be doing all of that kind of stuff uh, to try and hide themselves. But, like, we can easily identify the victims, like, really simply. What do we know about the targeting? What do we know about who who they're after here at the minute not a lot we know it's highly targeted we know it's targeted uh like governments ngos like it's not as widespread as solar winds was that was like a, a very spray and pray kind of thing whether them selected the the richer targets this was significantly more targeted they're using cobalt strike again they obviously like that i mean you say that but i think probably seven out of every ten oh, right. uh, attacks <laughs> that's that not we much see, of an attribution indicator then. no okay. <laughs> I mean, the, the way C2 Malleable works is you can build custom um, malleables. Uh, so there is some fingerprinting you can do across that, and you can trace uh, the C2 on, on all of those things. Um, so, yeah, and again, Microsoft released, like, all of the hashes and all of the detail. Uh, and whilst they didn't release the, like, the bearer tokens, like, anybody who can get hold of those samples can extract that data. So if I wanted to, I could have connected to Dropbox wow. with their API and yeah. I could have downloaded all of that stuff, which would have got me past the encryption because I'm I'm accessing it as a legitimate user. Uh, and in fact, that's probably how Dropbox should get around the thing, just generate an API token for it and but wouldn't they connect to it as a user. Because then you'd be breaking the law as well, going into someone else's. Not if Caesar applied for a... Like if Caesar turned around and say... Oh, this is yeah. like we've, they've got proof that it's in wet in malware like you've that's beyond reasonable doubt mm. issue a warrant saying i'd like all this data even if dropbox it's what they out. call in uh and you won't be familiar with this as a constable max but it's what they call in the u.s <laughs> i think reasonable cars <laughs> yeah but i'm still sure I mean, they have some e even if dropbox said no i've got the bearer token i could just log in as the user yeah. the attackers gave me that bearer yeah, token but, they uh, gave then, me the then, file with it in then you then you might run Dropbox locking you out as as law enforcement as well, so it's difficult. I don't think it's. I mean, it, yeah, it's a good idea, but I, I imagine law enforcement would be um, scared about logging into victims' accounts, even if they uh, thought it's they... not. It's, no, it's not the victim. So the attackers drop run a oh, Dropbox. Okay. Yeah. So you're logging into the attacker's Dropbox as the attacker. Yeah. So yeah, interesting to see what if they if they do stuff like that, but we haven't seen that happen. When you yet. say that, but we we saw them going around and we saw them like looking at patching stuff. We we saw them oh, yeah, uh, with, with um, um, dark sides. Uh, sorry, with um, the pipeline. We saw yeah. Caesar, FBI, NSA go to hosting providers and pull all of their accounts to pull that hundred gigs worth of data. We're seeing them be more proactive, and that's something the um, the executive order like really nails down. Like. Do you think do you think that was because of the do you think that was because of the pipeline or do you think you know it was a physical uh, impacting physical like would would they do that on for I, this one No it's, it's not the pipeline I mean the well specifically the executive order there's so much of it it must have all been like there's no way they could have prepared that in time No uh, but the reaction we got in the pipeline of them stepping in like I don't recall a time where they've had that much involvement that early on um and that, for me, is a big change in 
what I can imagine is US policy. Mm. Okay, enough of all this serious cyber stuff. <laughs> it, we're, we're coming to into an end now, so it can only mean one thing. Uh, it's time for Hackers Could. And this week's Hackers Could, Hackers Could force machine learning systems to slow down and cause critical failures. Now, I'm going to I'm going to get it out of the way first before because we always have to talk about where this has come from. Yes, this is a technique that has been is being developed by scientists working at the University of Maryland and the idea is that it's neutralizing optimization methods that speed up uh, deep neural networks. Now, Kev, that is where my understanding came to an end. So perhaps you'd like to explain to us whether the slowdown adversarial attack, which has the catchy name Deep Sloth, um, is it is it real? Is it real? Yes. Ah, okay. Is it ever going to be used? No. Why not? No, because there's loads of like machine learning out. There's machine learning everywhere. Surely people hackers want to disrupt disrupt machine learning. Uh, there is machine learning everywhere. Um, and what we're seeing is we're seeing a lot of these come closer to the edge, so like edge neural networks. So uh, you pre-compute the neural network and then you just run your data through like a pre-compile network, which means you can build in a lot more efficiency and they can't like manipulate it as much. Um, but even then, like, why? Well, why would right? you attack it? very edge case. Well, but what if it's doing something that, you know, is fundamental to some, you know, massively widely used bit of software? Like, what if I bring Netflix AI grinding to a halt, and then I say, I'd like ten million pounds, please, or but I mean five. That's Bitcoin. the thing. Like, you can't bring it grinding to a halt. It just slows it. You down, slow it down. Yeah, I yeah, know, but you'd be annoyed if Netflix was slow. Down. <laughs> Uh, and and if mean, you weren't getting recommended your latest box set, you'd be annoyed. That I, I would argue... I wouldn't be searching for 10 minutes on, <laughs> on Netflix. I would argue... If the AI were... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'd argue they'd have more of an effect by sending more searches to the, uh, the ah, endpoint got you, yeah. than actually slowing it down. Well, we should develop that then, Kevin. We could be on <laughs> Hackers Code. I think this could, this could in the future, this could definitely impact... But it's it's not that it's not that sexy, is it? It's like, oh, you could make something slightly less less efficient. But this is, so this was my thing about originally my thing about cryptocurrency miners. This was my big beef about cryptocurrency miners because I don't I think they're not a real threat either. I think they just slow down computers, and I don't think that's like, is yeah. that a threat? Like, it's not really, is it? It's kind of the no. same. It's the same. And if you actually get into the, the detail of it, it says, even if attackers do not have the exact information regarding the target model, Deep Sloth can reduce the efficacy by 5% <laughs> up to 45%. That is quite a wide window yeah. of impact. So it's kind of even hard to know whether it would work. Yeah, I mean, they even call out the, the, the edge device stuff. Like, the, the most you're going to make edge devices miss some critical deadlines Nobody has critical deadlines on edge device AI stuff. Like that's not okay. where you put your. I mean, they they were very keen to claim that this could be one of the first attacks targeting multi-exit neural networks in this way. So maybe they just want their place in history. If it does ever become a thing, that the Wikipedia article will say <laughs> the University of Maryland, the guys over there, they did this, they first. Did this first. They're definitely not selling anything. I bet. Well, they're neural, selling neural university courses. And, <laughs> I don't know. If... I bet they're, they're doing some research. I'm sure that they need to get funded. Maybe. Anyway, and there 
we must bring things to a close. Paul, I look over to Paul's <laughs> empty seat and realise that this Hi, is... Paul. Guys, this has been a genuine pleasure. It has. <laughs> oh, sorry, not that it isn't normally. <laughs> if you've enjoyed this podcast, please do subscribe, rate and comment wherever you get your audio content. And if you want to know more about Immersive Labs, you can find us at ImmersiveLabs.com or follow us on Twitter at Immersive Labs. Until next time, from all three of us, <laughs> goodbye. Goodbye. goodbye.